0: Believe it or not, guys, I am still actually watching games from last week, so I don't know exactly how well I did. I know that I've won at least seven of the games. I know I'm going to have at least a 500-week But I've got a couple games left, so I'm hoping for more. But regardless, I gave you a bunch of winners last week. Charlie gave you some winners. We've been on a hot streak here for the past couple weeks. And all you have to do to take advantage of these picks is go to mybookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account. It'll take you about 60 seconds. Use our promo code UGA, and you'll get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. You also have another option. If you want to avoid the playthrough, then you can use the code 200cash to get a 10% cash bonus added straight to your account. So jump in on the action today guys while you still can but as you all well know i am your host tyler and i am back once again today with our weekly deep dive preview into georgia's latest game and it's a big one guys this is a big one Last week against Missouri was a huge game. This is a huge game. And next week against Tennessee on the road will also be a huge game. We have a crazy stretch to end this season. We're right smack dab in the middle of it. But this is a top 10 matchup, y'all. Number two versus number nine in the most recent CFP rankings. And I am here to tell all of y'all today, right now, just like I told you last week ahead of the Missouri game. I don't know if everyone wanted to believe me, but y'all saw out there on the field. Ole Miss is for real. This is a legitimately good football team. They are eight and one entering this game. And just like I told you last week that Missouri did not get to seven and one by accident, I can absolutely 1 million percent assure you that Ole Miss unequivocally did not get to eight and one by accident. You don't accidentally Find yourself at an 8-1 in the SEC West. Not when you play at Alabama. Not when you've got a road game, a tricky road game against Tulane on your schedule early in the year. you got to go to Auburn, which, we I mean, Auburn's not great, but we know firsthand that's a tough place to play. You've got a game against Ole Miss at home. You just play a really talented Texas A&M team. Coming into the season, I felt like Florida and Ole Miss had the two most difficult schedules in the SEC. If you have two of the most difficult schedules in the SEC, that probably means you have two of the most difficult schedules in the entire country. I thought Ole Miss would be good. I thought they had a really good team, a talented team. I have a lot of respect for Lane Kiffin and what he does offensively. I felt like Pete Golding coming over from Alabama as their new defensive coordinator would bring an instant upgrade to what they do defensively. And we'll get that in a little bit. And that's clearly been the case. But I, I didn't think that they'd be eight and one. I'm gonna be real with you. I didn't I did not think they'd be eight and one because the schedule, the schedule was brutal. I thought, okay, maybe there's an outside shot at 7-2, and two, maybe possibly, with 6-3 perhaps being maybe more likely, but I was wrong, I was wrong. Ole Miss has been better than I thought they would be, combined with the fact that there are some teams in the SEC West, <coughs> Arkansas, that have not been as good as I thought that they would be, so it's created the situation where Ole Miss is in here at 8-1 with a legitimate shot to make it to Atlanta for the SEC championship game. Now, they are not in the driver's seat. That's The Rebels are clearly going to need some help. Their one loss happens to be on the road against Alabama, so they need the tie to drop each of their last two conference games against Kentucky on the road and Auburn on the road, which, I mean, I guess it's possible, but we all know that's highly, highly unlikely. So it's not likely that they make it to Atlanta, but they still have outside playoff aspirations and certainly New Year's Six aspirations. And as Lane Kiffin himself said today, I believe, they're coming in here with house money, guys, just like Missouri did last week. All the pressure is on us. The pressure is not on them. No one really expects them to win this game. They're not the one riding the insane winning streak. That's not the case. They are the ones that get to come in here and play the number one team in the AP rankings, number two team in the cultural playoff, the two-time national champion, and you get to take your best shot, just like Missouri took their best shot last week. It wasn't good enough, but who's to say, oh, Mrs. shot won't be good enough. We are not ready to play. But back to my original point, guys, this Ole Miss team is legit. They are very, very good. I told you earlier in the week, I think I would make the argument that they are ever so slightly better than Missouri. I think that'd be a hell of a game if those two teams faced off at a neutral site. But I think I would lean Ole Miss because I believe that they have more playmakers offensively. They don't have any one guy at receiver that's Luther Burden, but they have more guys, I believe, at that position that can hurt you. And I just think their offense is incredibly innovative and unique and different and tough to defend. I think you can say the same thing to a degree about Missouri and that they really lean heavily on outside zone as their base run play, but that's, I mean, that play's been around for a long time. You should don't see a ton of teams really lean on that as like the play that they run, but Ole Miss and what with what they do, it's, it's very unique, it's very innovative, and just like Missouri, you don't see it very often, so when they run what they run, and they run it very well, and you don't see it very often, you don't really defend offenses like that all that often, it makes it a really tough matchup for any defense going up against this Ole Miss offense, but if you look at where they sit in the SEC, so right now, yeah, they're 8-1, and one. they're right there in second place in the SEC West, well, again, with an outside shot, it may be possibly some way sneaking into the SEC Championship game, highly, highly unlikely, low percentage chance, but the chance still exists but they are fourth in the league when it comes to yardage margin. You guys know I'm big on that stats. It doesn't tell you everything, but I do think it's a, at this point in the year when you're nine games in the season, I think it's a really good indicator of how good teams actually are. Now, sometimes there are teams that, you know, have lost a couple games, but their yardage margin really high. What does that tell you? It tells you they turn the football over a lot, or they don't score in the red zone. They kind of bog down the red zone. They sell for field goals and things just could go their way. Typically bad luck, right? But I do think at this point, especially, it is a good indicator. Right now, your Georgia Bulldogs do continue to lead the SEC in total yardage margin. We are at plus 1,900, give or take. They were actually a little bit over 1,900. You got Tennessee, next week's matchup, which we will get to here in about a week. They are at plus 1,300 right now. You got LSU at plus 1,250. And then coming number four, you have these old Miss Rebels sitting there at a little bit over plus 1,000 in their yardage margin. Oh, where's Alabama, you might ask? Well, they're not particularly close. They are just barely over plus 500 right now, which that's typically a team that's plus 500 at this point. You're a fairly average team. You're probably sitting here at about six and three. We know that Alabama is not. We know they're sitting here at eight and one. I think that's largely a function of some of the most of their toughest games being at home. The one really tough game they had on the road was was on the road at A&M a couple weeks ago. And how tough a game do you really want to call that? I mean, A&M's, A&M's five and four, guys. They're five and four. They're five and four. We know how talented they are, but it doesn't seem to matter with AM. But you look at the games Alabama's won, yeah, they've they've won those games. But go look at how close those games were, guys. Look at all those games. Yeah, they beat LSU. Barely, right? It certainly helped the Jaden Daniels went down with what I think was a targeting that wasn't called. But hey, you know, it is what it is. Tennessee, that was touch and go there for a minute, guys. Touch and go. Ole Miss, yeah, they beat Ole Miss by 10 points. But let's also go back and remember what happened. That was early in the year. I don't know how closely y'all were paying attention to Ole Miss at that point. I was paying very close attention because I knew that we were playing them. And Quinshawn Judkins, yeah, he played in that game. He was a shell of what Quinshawn Junkins is. He was dealing with a leg injury earlier in the year, and he's a tough dude and didn't let it actually keep him out of games, but he was on almost a pitch count. He wasn't playing as much as he typically does. He was in there. He couldn't start and stop, accelerate, decelerate like he normally does. He was just a shell of himself. So when you have him not fully healthy, you don't have all your your complimented receivers, who are really good receivers, by the way, you go into Tuscaloosa. I mean, yeah. you're short-handed. you're not probably going to win that football game, but they played Bama very close in that game. So moral of the story, Ole Miss is good. Just trust me when I say that. If you haven't watched them, I'm telling you right now, this Ole Miss team is, in my opinion, the best team that we have played to date. I said the same thing about Missouri last week because that was last week. Well, now here we've moved on. We've conquered Missouri. Now we're on to Ole Miss. And I think that Ole Miss is slightly better than Missouri. So yeah, the best team that we have played to this point. And they can hurt you a variety of ways, both offensively and defensively. That's the thing about Ole Miss this year, guys. We'll get to this again later. This is not your Ole Miss defense of old. They are actually, like, halfway decent. And that changed the game for Ole Miss. I mean, how often did we say over the past couple years since Lane Clifford took this job back in 2020, man, if they just had a halfway decent defense. Well, guys, they got it. They got one. And exactly as we kept saying, man, if Ole Miss just had a halfway decent defense to go with that explosive offense, they might have something. Well, yeah, they do have something. We're seeing it now. They're eight and one. And I'm extremely excited that this game is a night game. I'm an old guy these days. And I am not one that simply loves night games at this stage in my life. I like a good noon game. I know that people hate those. I like them because I get to come enjoy a Georgia football game. And I, since I live in Athens, it's easy for, me, easy for me. I just get back home and watch the rest of the games on that day. So I'll, I'll take a nooner. I'm fine with that. Prefer a 3:30 game. Night games typically don't love because I miss a lot of good games. But obviously, you got to go to our game. That's number one priority, right? And look, I always get. I get it. The night game environments are electric. They're awesome. They're fun. And then when I'm in a in a stadium for a night game, I love it. it it's a great, great, fun, electric environment, always fantastic. But I'm old. So yeah, I'm, I am that guy now. But this is a game where I have no issues. I was actually hoping and praying that this would be a night game because we need every possible edge that we can get in this game. We need to make communication for the Ole Miss offense as difficult as we possibly can. We need to provide momentum for our team, for our guys when they make a big plays. So they can ride that momentum, hopefully, to a victory obviously playing at home playing at night isn't the be-all end-all home teams lose games at night but it certainly helps like if if you get to choose okay you want to have the most raucous crazy environment for this big matchup well you get to pick the the time what are you picking you're picking a night game right you're picking a home night game because like we all know the fans um they're feeling it right can we say that they're feeling it they're up for it they're jacked up it's electric it's crazy it's insane and it's going to be awesome Now, the weather, uh, man, it's touch and go right now with the weather. I don't know what it's exactly going to look like. It's kind of going back and forth. Is it going to rain? Is it not? It's going to be cold. I'm very hopeful the rain pushes back and holds off. Well, personally, just as a guy who's going to be at the game, I don't want to deal with that. And I'm also telling you, if it rains, it's going to impact the home crowd. It's going to. I still feel like most people will come, but there will be people who won't show up. But even the people who do show up, are they going to be as energetic in that kind of cold, raining environment as they would be in a nice, cooler, just regular, nice night environment? No, they're not going to be. I mean, sure, sure, I will be, because, I mean, that's just kind of what I do. I know a lot of students will be, but you're a rank-and-file Georgia fan? I don't know. We'll see. So I'm hopeful that the rain stays away. We'll see, uh, as we get a little bit closer to the game, what that looks like. But either way, your boy's going to be there going nuts because, again, I know how good this Ole Miss football team is. And I'm telling y'all, they're damn good. But all right, guys, before we dive into exactly what makes Ole Miss so good offensively and defensively, you know how we do. We're going to dive into all the specifics. This is a deep dive. We're going to go deep on this. But before we get there, I do quickly want to remind you once again about our great friends at MyBookie. If you're looking for a sports but the trust, guys, look no further. You found it. My bookie is the go-to. Trust me on this. I've tried so many of them over the years, going back a decade plus. And once I found my bookie, it was game over. It was all good. I found it, my bookie, let's go. And I'm still with them today because they treat me right and they'll treat you right as well. They have all the best deposit options, whatever works for you. They have those options. They have quick payouts, no hassles. You don't have to worry about that. Some of the sportsbook guys, they give you hassles of the payout. They make it as hard as they possibly can. Not my bookie. They make it easy for you. You can take your money out and do what you want with it. And on top of that, They have so many awesome options and features for you guys. They have their new cash out early option. That's huge a parlay. As you guys know, I'm Mr. Parlay. Love me a couple parlays. They've been really good to me this year and really the past couple years. So if you get to the point where you've won a couple of the legs of the parlay, you're waiting on your last one late at night for the Pac-12 after dark game or whatever game you're watching late. Just go ahead and cash out. Don't sweat it out. Just cash out, take your money, and go with it. They have a ton of live betting options. So even one of those games where you just don't really know how you feel about it, you feel like it's a toss-up game, you want to get a feel for it, watch the first quarter of the game or so, and then put a live bid on it. They give you a ton of options to do that. So jump in on the action, guys. It's a no-brainer for me with MyBookie. Just go to mybookie.ag. Use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit for all new users. If you want to avoid a playthrough, because it does come with a playthrough, you have another option, which is 200 cash, to get a 10% cash bonus, which is no strings attached, straight into your account. Just bet your deposit, and you can do whatever you want with all that money. That's another option that you guys had to choose from. So my bookie is trying to make it easy for you guys, trying to help you out in any way that they can. So bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. All right, guys, let's do this thing. I want to start with the Ole Miss offense because despite the improvement of the Ole Miss defense, the Ole Miss offense is still very much the engine to this Ole Miss football team. And let me just give you some basic numbers here before we dive into the schemes and the personnel and all that fun stuff, a stuff that I love to do, but to give you just some basic numbers here to give you a frame of reference what I'm talking about when I say this Ole Miss offense is really good, this Ole Miss offense is third. They're third in the SEC in both total offense and yards per play at 478.9 and 6.91 yards per play. That is not a vintage Ole Miss Lane Kiffin offense. You go back to 2020 and 2021. Ole Miss, their offense ranked first in the SEC in total offense. They, they were absolutely dynamic. And they're still dynamic this year, but it is not as dynamic of an Ole Miss offense as it has been in the past couple of years. In fact, at least statistically, our offense, the Georgia offense, is the superior offense in this matchup. But still, regardless, it's still going to present the greatest challenge to our defense to this point. It is, just clearly. But even though they're, they're not as prolific maybe as they were, still very prolific, and they're not operating at as quite as fast of a pace, as rapid of a pace as they traditionally have under Kiffin. They still run an up-tempo offense, and they they currently rank second in the league in plays per game. They still want to push the pace. They also are one of the most explosive offenses in the entire country, not just the SEC. They rank second in the SEC and third nationally in generating plays of 20 or more yards. So this is an efficient explosive Ole Miss offense and that combination efficiency and explosiveness that's a dangerous combination and when you talk about the Ole Miss offense I think you need to look at structurally what they like to do I know that when you look at the stats you look at the numbers since Lane Kiffin's gotten to Oxford you see massive yardage totals you see massive point totals and you just think, okay, man, they're, just, they're dropping points, dropping yards like crazy. This is just one of those crazy, high-flying, explosive offenses. Yeah, it is explosive. High-flying, though, I don't know if that would be an accurate assessment of what this Ole Miss offense is. In a lot of ways, this Ole Miss offense reminds me of kind of an updated, souped-up version of the old Auburn-Gus Malzahn offense, right? I mean, it's, it's not exactly that, no, but I think there are some similarities in that both of these offenses use window dressing liberally they have a couple of base plays they really like to run but they run from a lot of different formations a lot of different looks different shifts different motions to get to those looks to get to those plays but at the end of the day they're really only running a handful of plays and they have constraints off of those base plays but also like those old Gus Miles on Auburn offenses people see them you know, out of these spread looks moving around shifting around motioning around creating explosive plays and they're like oh yeah man that that team throws the ball all over the place. No, that's not what Ole Miss does. They are a very capable passing team, which we will talk about. But still, at the core of this offense, what they are is a running football team. In a lot of ways, it's almost like spread triple option. It's not quite that far, but there are a lot of option elements in what they do. They run the ball 57% of the time. Well, Tyler, what does that mean? Like, Give me a frame of reference here. Okay, well, that split the run pass split 57% run is the third highest run percentage in the entire SEC to give you a a better frame of reference I know you guys watch a lot of Georgia football right that's kind of why you're listening to the show well we throw the ball 51% of the time this year and you go back the past couple years yeah we were slightly more run heavy than when we were pass heavy but we were never under Todd Monkley's fifty-seven percent run. No, they run the football. So it's a lot like Tennessee in some regards. Like people think Tennessee, they think of Tennessee as like this high-flying offense. They throw the ball over the field. That's not what they do. Yeah, they do. They create explosive plays in the pass game, but they do that because they are committed to running the football. And they get teams to commit, defenses to commit to defending the run, and that creates one-on-one opportunities that they want to exploit and take advantage of in the passing game. And they do create explosive plays off of the pass game, but it all comes from the run game. This is a heavy, heavy run team, and they are very creative in how they go about doing it. Again, a lot of shifting, a lot of motioning. What Ole Miss is really trying to do, guys, what they're trying to do schematically is they are trying to challenge the eye discipline of the defense. They are trying to create confusion with their shifts with their motions. They are also very heavy on misdirection. For example, I'm, I am i should probably put this up on social media. I'll try to pull a clip up and put it on social media for you guys to give you a look at what I'm actually talking about here. I know the visual thing. It's not easy. I know I try to do the YouTube stuff. I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. It's just hard. You four episodes a week and a full-time job, and you're trying to write for Dogs Daily. It's a lot going on, so that. Sometimes doesn't happen. Oftentimes it hasn't happened the past couple of weeks, but I'll try to put some video out there if I can get a chance to do it. But just, just picture this for me, all right? So what they like to do, one of their core running plays is they will pull their guard in center. They'll pull them one direction, and then they will toss the ball to the running back in the entirely opposite direction. Now, you, I think I mentioned this on the uh, mailbag episode. You might be asking, well, why in the hell would you do that? Like, Don't you want to run behind the offensive line you're pulling, isn't that why you pull them? Why would you send your running back where there's not offensive linemen to protect them? It's not about misdirection, guys. Think about what defenses key. What are linebackers key? Oftentimes, they are keying offensive linemen. When the offensive line pulls, that often is an indicator of, oh, the play is going in that direction. Lincoln was a smart guy. Charlie Weiss Jr. Yeah, that Charlie Weiss son their offensive coordinator, these are smart guys. Like, they know offensive football. These are very good offensive minds. So they see that defenses like to read their pulling guards. So like, okay, all right, how do we counter that? Well, let's just pull the the, the lineman one way, and then let's run the other way. And then you see what the defenses do. The defense follows the lineman, and then, boof, the running back's the other way. And now defenses have kind of gotten smart to it, but still, you, I guess I go back to, like, what we did with playing against Missouri, with the outside zone not being really what we typically have to defend we don't typically see teams do that. So you can practice it all week long. You got 20 hours a week. That's what you get. You can practice it all week long. But when you get out there in the moment of the game, you oftentimes revert back to what you've done the other eight, nine games this season. You follow the guards. Even if it's for a split second, you're like, oh yeah, wait, 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 not, not with this team. But that split second delay gives enough room for the Ole Miss running backs or ball carriers, who are very good, by the way, to have a step on you and it creates big plays for them creates explosive plays and the way they run the football as efficiently and effectively as they do they're oftentimes ahead of the chains it allows them to stay on schedule and stay out of third long which that's really not what they're well equipped to do their quarterback Jackson Dart is a lot better off of play action I mean guys his grade According to Pro Football Focus, off of play action is 92.5. His passing grade on play action is 91.4. Without play action, his passing grade is 73.7, almost a 20 point drop from his grade in play action versus no play action. This is not a great drop back pass team. Jackson Dart is not a great drop back passer, but when he's working off play action and he's got guys running wide open down the field because teams are reacting to their run game and in, in the run action, he can hit those guys and you create explosive plays. But none of that happens when you're behind the chains. That's why this old Miss team is tough to stop because they run the ball so well. They stay ahead of the chains. They stay in, in second and short, third and short. And they have a, the entire playbook available to them in those situations. Yeah, they can run the football. They can run a screen. They can run play action. They could go with a drop back pass game. Well, that's not really what they like to do. But they have the entire playbook open to them. And when the entire playbook's open to you on third down, well, that becomes difficult for a defense to stop because you got a lot of things that they could throw at you. It's tough to key on just one thing, and making it even more difficult for defenses to stop is that they aren't like most teams. Some teams are starting to catch up with this, with the analytics revolution that we've seen, which I think the pendulum has swung far too much to the other side, but we have seen this analytics revolution, right? Well, Lane Kiffin was at the forefront of that. He was part of the Vanguard. He's been doing it for a while now, even going back to his days at FAU, but they use all four downs. They use all four downs more often than not. I mean, even if like deep in their own territory, they will use all four downs. They've gone for it on fourth down 24 times this year, which is the second most in the SEC, only one behind Vanderbilt. And when you look at it nationally, they're very high up there nationally as well. They are nationally, they are inside the top 20. They are number 19 in fourth down attempts. And that's not unusual. That's pretty standard for Ole Miss. I mean, last year they were 10th nationally in fourth down attempts. They went for it 35 times on, th- on fourth down. Uh, in 2021, they were number one nationally. They went for it 49 times in 13 games on fourth down. And back during the COVID year in 2020, they only played a, well, they played 10 games that year. They went for it 33 times on fourth down, which was third most nationally. Lane is an analytics guy. He is an aggressive play caller by nature, although he's not really calling the plays now. It's Charlie Weiss Jr., although a lot like we saw last week with Missouri, His fingerprints are still all over this offense. He's still intimately involved in the play calling. And I am of the belief that there are plays that he does call. I think it's very much a collaboration between him and Charlie Weiss Jr. But not only do they go for it a lot on fourth down, they're very successful when they do go for it on fourth down. In fact, they are converting almost 71% of their fourth down opportunities. Why is that? So I'm going back to it and tie it all together here they're converting such a high percentage of their fourth down opportunities because they're not going for it on fourth and nine. They're going for it on fourth and one in fourth and two, maybe fourth and three, because they are so efficient running the football that they are going to stay primarily ahead of the chains. And then if they get into third and short, they might take a risk and say, you know what, third and short, let's, let's go a little play action. Let's take a play action shot, just see what happens. This is all good because if we don't get it, it's still going to be fourth and short. So let's go for it anyway. That's the mentality. That's how they operate offensively. And that puts a ton of pressure on a defense. Now saying that, and they do convert a lot of them, it can work against you. We've seen that this year, not necessarily with Ole Miss, but let's go back to the Washington-Oregon game. I love Dan Lanning. I think he's a hell of a coach. He's going to do great things at Oregon. I mean, dude's big time. And I, and I like aggression generally, but to me there's a line between aggression and foolishness. And I do think that Dan Lanning somewhat crossed that, not somewhat, he did straight up cross that line from, aggressive, from aggression into foolishness against Washington. It was like he was being aggressive to a fault. And I think he cost him that game. And, and how aggressive he was going for the fourth down in situations where I don't think it was necessary, and I don't think it was really advantageous for his team. I think he put him in a bad spot. And Ole Miss has fallen victim to that as well. A couple of times since Alabama, you know, the game uh, was a couple of years ago when Kiffin, you know, before, before the game, pregame, his interview said, get your popcorn ready. Well, I mean, I know they ended up losing that game in Tuscaloosa, but Alabama didn't really beat them up and down the field that game. What did Kiffin do is early in that game, he went for it on fourth down a couple of times deep in their own territory and didn't get it, it got stopped so they typically get it but when they don't get get it sometimes oftentimes they put themselves in a bad spot and you when you play better teams really town teams like alabama and i don't know maybe georgia right then all of a sudden it's like oh that aggression can really work against you now if you get it you're a hero if you don't get it it's a bad call it's, it's consequentialism right consequentialism if you, if you if the decision you've made turns out to have the desired outcome, it was the right decision. If it has the, the undesired outcome, it was the wrong decision. It's all about the consequences of that decision. That's how people typically judge these things. But it can work against them. It absolutely can. It has. Many, like, oftentimes, honestly, against Alabama, they just get hyper-aggressive. It's kind of what Dan Lanning did against Washington. It's like, okay, this team is really good. We're not going to win this game with field goals, so we just got to be really aggressive. And it's like, well, yeah, I get that thinking, but early in the game, do you need to be cuz you don't know what you're going to need that early in the game and they'll be they'll be aggressive from the jump and i will say as a georgia fan it freaks me out because it means you got to stop a team four times more often than not and that can be tough again when they are so efficient running the football but then there's also the other side what if they don't get it think about the home crowd guys think about it night game we're all pumped up top 10 matchup they go up they go, they go for in a key fourth down and we get that stop think about the momentum that gives our team think about the momentum it gave Alabama in the past couple years when Kiven's done that in Tuscaloosa if you get it it's great it can absolutely help you win a game but when you don't get it in these settings on the road when you're playing with house money and just overly aggressive I think hyper aggressive it can really work to your detriment but let's talk more about this Ole Miss running game. So i give you an idea of kind of what they're trying to do schematically. Let's dive into that a little bit more. So from a personnel standpoint, the clear, unequivocal focal point of this offense is softball running back Quinshaw Jenkins, who led the entire SEC as a true freshman last year in rushing, he led the SEC in rushing last year, guys, jumped on the scene, wasn't a highly recruited guy, three-star guy, like if I saw something in him, he's a great fit for their offense, and he was a, he was a baller from day one, now this year, the numbers have not been as prolific, but as I mentioned earlier, there is context to that, the numbers have not been as prolific this year, which right now, he still has good, has good numbers, he's got 793 yards rushing on the season, 12 touchdowns, averaging 4.7 yards per carry, so it hasn't been Overly explosive, but the numbers are down a little bit this year. From you go back to last year, this guy was insane. I mean, this dude put up almost 1,600 yards rushing last year, 5.7 yards per rush. But for the, the first I'd say third or so, maybe half of the schedule, this guy was dealing with a lower extremity injury, and he was not Quinshaw Judkins. He wasn't able to run with the authority that he typically runs with. He wasn't able to plant and cut and accelerate and decelerate the way that he is accustomed to and do the things that makes him one of the best running backs in the entire country. So what is it about his game that actually makes him that good? Because he's healthy, guys. He is healthy now. He's coming to Athens on a three-game streak of 100-yard rushing efforts. He is looking more and more like the quinshaw Judkins of last year. In fact, fact, about a month or so ago, give or take a week or two, when they played LSU at home, the dude went for 177. That was kind of his breaking out party of this season. Now, we know the LSU defense is, um, shall we say, horrific, but still, he's getting back. To his old self. In fact, I think he's there. I think he's there last he week. He went for 102 yards against AM. And that's it. That's a really good AM rushing defense, guys. He and those were yards that he grinded out, three touchdowns uh, against Vandy. I mean, I know it's Vandy, whatever, but 17 carries, a buck 24, 7.3 yards per carry. Auburn 21 for 124, just about six yards per carry. And you're gonna go back to LSU, 33 for 177. Now, there have been some games, again, earlier in the year where he was not looking like Quinshaw Juggins, but those games are in the rear view. He is looking more and more like the guy that he was last year, and he is a load, man. He's a big dude, powerful dude, 5'11", 210. The, the lower half, man, it is thick, and it is powerful. He runs through tackles. He's not a, a, a home run threat kind of guy. He's not a big-time speed guy. Now, don't get me wrong. If you give him enough room, which they do with their misdirection, he can, he can house one, but that's not his game. Like He's not a burner. He is a power guy between the tackles that's got good enough speed. He's got really good feet. He's a really, really patient runner. He knows how to set up blocks. He knows how to press line and scrimmage and, and cut at the right times. And he just fights for every yard. And he's the kind of running back I love. I, I think, I've said this many times in the show. You guys know how I feel about this. I hate it when running backs just like, they get hit and they go down because they feel like they're supposed to go down. It's like, oh, I got hit, so I go down. No, 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 no. You keep those legs turning, baby. You move, you run, you fight and I love those violent runners. That's what Quinshaw Juckins is. He's a violent runner. And make no mistake about it. They will lean on this dude. They will lean on him. But even though he does bear more of the weight in the Ole Miss running game, he is not alone. It's not a one-man show in the Ole Miss run game. They also have another guy, Ulysses Bentley the IV, who's an SMU transfer. I used to watch him a couple years ago, SMU. I was like, oh, this guy's a good player. He transferred to Ole Miss prior to last season. Wasn't really a factor much last season because they had Zach Evans to match with Quinshot Junkins. But Bentley has become that clear number two option behind Junkins this year. And he's, he's a really good back. He's a different kind of back. He's not as big. He's not as physical. But he does bring more speed, more explosiveness to the backfield for Ole Miss and in the absence of Juckins, well, when Jukins was playing, but he wasn't fully healthy, Bentley was carrying a lot more of that load, now he's kind of backed off some, because we are seeing the, the Quinshaw Jukins of old, that people expect him to be coming into this year, but that's a really nice change of pace, a really nice compliment for Jukins in that Ole Miss backfield, he's explosive man, he's explosive, he's a playmaker, so the two running backs, really talented players, really, really good running backs, but the guy you simply can't. Cannot discount. You cannot forget about him in the run game, is quarterback Jackson Dart. This guy is a big part of what they want to do in the on the ground, guys. He's a big part of what they want to do. And he's a big guy. He's 6'2, 220 So he's a guy, a lot like Judkins, that is a physical runner. You are not going to confuse this guy with Anthony Richardson. That's not what he is. He's not that kind of dual threat guy. He does not have that kind of speed. He is not that fleet of foot. He's just not. He's mobile enough is what I would say. He doesn't have great speed, but he's got size, and he runs with reckless abandon. You guys know a couple years ago, I had a man crush on Matt Corral. Why did I have a man crush on Matt Corral? Because that was one tough SOB. He was much smaller and slider of frame than what Dart is, but that guy ran like a madman. He had no... No regard for his body whatsoever. Complete disregard for his physical well being. And it works to their detriment because he dealt with a lot of injuries his final year and he goes and he plays. I mean, God, tip of the cap to this guy in this era where everybody's just opting out of bowl games. This guy went and played their bowl game and, and got hurt, right? So I, mean, I hate that for him. But their quarterbacks run with their freaking hair on fire. It's part of their culture. It's what Lane Given expects from them. They don't slide. I'm not saying he will never slide, but rarely. Like if it's, you know, if it's a short yard situation, he knows like the, the chains are there, I'm going for this first down. He ain't sliding, guys. I'm telling you, he is going to either dive for it. He'll dive, just leap head first, or he'll just put his shoulder down and try to run through you. Again, complete reckless abandon, complete disregard for his body. And as... A fan of football and an old school guy myself, I freaking love it. I eat that stuff up. I love watching Ole Miss play offense because of that stuff. You don't see quarterbacks do that. They, they're coached to slide, and I get it. You know, They're the franchise quarterbacks and all that. That's not how Ole Miss plays it, man. Those guys play to win, and they will run through you. All their guys, running backs, quarterback, they fight for every single yard, and you better be ready. You better be ready to bring the wood and lay it on these guys because they're going to fight. But let's talk a little bit more about Dart. So Dart, I mean, he's the third leading rusher. He's got a little over three hundred yards rushing. Now you got also you got to throw in sack yards, right? got to count for that. So he's actually rushed for more than that, but with the sacks, it's a little over 300 yards, but he's got seven touchdowns. Why does that matter? Well, he leads the team in rushing touchdowns because he is a short yardage machine. When do they really like to use him? Short yard situation, whether it's trying to get a first down, third and short, fourth and short, or on the goal line. He's a big time goal line threat for them because we all know when you get in the red zone, what do you have to be able to do to score efficiently, score touchdowns? You got to be able to run the football. Well, how, how are you able to run the football effectively in the red zone? Well, you get the numbers advantage, and if you have a quarterback that is able to run the football, it changes the whole dynamic of your red zone opportunities. That's why teams that are really good in the red zone typically have quarterbacks that can run the football, because you get the numbers advantage in the box, and you get that plus one, and now you have the advantage there to try to punch that ball in the end zone, and you have a big physical quarterback who can get those tough yards in the red zone, the goal line situations, you're going to use them, and they do, man. They use them. And they'll use him in a variety of ways. They'll use him in the traditional old-school zone read. They'll do some quarterback power stuff. They'll do some quarterback draw stuff. They'll even do some quarterback sweep stuff with him. They, they use this guy in a variety of ways. They have a pretty diverse quarterback run game. In the pass game, he's also apt to scramble. does a really good job of extending plays and, and creating time for his receivers to, to use the scramble drill to try to get open. I mean, he is a, a mobile enough guy. Again, he's not super fleet of foot. He's not really that fast. You can catch the guy. It's not what makes him great as a runner. He's, he's physical. He's tough. That's what makes him great as a runner. And that is exactly what makes him valuable for this Ole Miss offense. But Dart's impact in the run game goes beyond just the yards that he picks up with his own legs. What a mobile quarterback like that does for you, a guy that poses a threat with his legs from the quarterback position, what it really does, the greatest effect that it has on your offense is the space that it creates for your other running backs. I've talked about this a couple of times this season when it comes to Carson Beck. Now, we'll run somewhat look like zone read looks, but the backside in crashes. And if it's truly a zone read, Carson should be pulling that ball and going around the end and picking up yards. But he doesn't really do that. I think I've seen him do it like one time this year. Well, why do I scream for him to pull the ball in those situations? Not because I think Carson's going to go pick up 30 yards on a zone read. I don't expect him to do that. But just posing that threat is going to hold that backside in, which is the entire purpose of running a zone read. You hold that backside in because if he crashes on the running back, because you're not blocking that backside in, right? You're leaving him unblocked. You're, it's literally option football. You're optioning off the backside in or whoever that in-man line of scrimmage is. Could be an end, could be a linebacker, could be a star defender, whoever the in-man line of scrimmage is. You're optioning off that guy. You're personally not blocking him because you're reading him. If he crashes on the running back, well, the quarterback should be free to run the football, right? And we don't really seem to allow Carson to do that I don't know if it's I don't know if it's t- we're telling him hey you're not actually supposed to pull it we're just showing them this look or if he's supposed to pull it and he's scared to pull it, or if he I don't, I don't know Stetson would do this sometimes too. like he would pull it sometimes but oftentimes it was a clear pull read and he wouldn't pull it so I don't know exactly what the call is there it's tough to say without knowing like being in the in the locker room being in the the meeting rooms and in the huddle you don't really know but when you have a quarterback that is a threat to run and actually pull it which Jackson Dart is when they run zone read looks he absolutely has 100% freedom to pull that football. And so the in-man line of scrimmage has to be aware of that. And they have to account for him in the run game. And so they're not crashing on the running backs. And so what does that do? When, when Jackson Dart carries out the run fake, it creates a running lane. Because that backside end, whoever that in-man line of scrimmage is, has to kind of widen with Darius. He's carrying out that run fake just in case he's actually pulling the ball and running the football. And now you have a wide running lane for the running back to exploit that's why some of these running backs that play in offenses with mobile quarterbacks they put up, like huge numbers and everyone's like man that's one of the best running backs in the country and it's like I mean yeah he's good but he's it's not that he's like better than this other guy it's just that he has more space to operate with he's playing in an offense that creates these natural lanes for him that offenses that don't have mobile quarterbacks have a harder time doing so yes Quinshaw Junkins is a really really good running back I'm not trying to suggest that he's not but his effectiveness is amplified by the presence of of Jackson Dart and their willingness to run Jackson Dart. All right, so there you go. That's the Ole Miss run game. We spent a lot of time on that. Let's talk about their passing game here, all right? So from a pass game standpoint, this is a heavy RPO team. Now, in the run game, they'll run zone. They'll run some gap scheme stuff. They mix it up. They have a pretty, a very diverse run game. Not pretty diverse. A very diverse run game. But the pass game is not as diverse most of their run plays. I can't say all because, again, I'm not in their meeting rooms. I don't know what's going on exactly. But from what I can see, what I can observe watching the tape as I have every game that they've played, except for the Mercer game. didn't watch the Mercer game. But it seems like they are tagging the vast majority of their run plays with RPOs. The RPO game makes up a significant portion of of their pass game. And Jackson Dart is very effective in those situations because when they pull the ball and throw it with the RPO RPO game, as we do with our RPO game, you are by design throwing the ball into favorable situations, right? Because you are reading a defender. If that defender triggers the run, you pull it and you throw the ball behind his head to that open receiver, right? That's the whole point of an RPO. And that's a big part of the reason why Jackson Darts play action great. RPO, I guess... I always struggle with this. Is it really play action? To me, play action is when you are running a designed run fake and you intend to throw the football at the snap. With the RPO, you're not really doing that. As Kirby likes to call it extension of the run game. I know you're giving the run action and you pull it. like So it, look, it gives the look of play action. I guess by effect it kind of is, but the the scheme is different. It, it's it's. You are the, with the two line of scrimmage with the idea we are going to run the football, but then depending on how the defense reacts to it, then you can pull it and throw it. So it's in the play action family. It's just I guess not traditional play action in the truest sense is the way I look at it. But when PFF is doing their grades, I'm assuming that they're calling all the RPOs play action, and he's very effective in those in in those situations. Now when they are forced to go to the drop back pass game again, his pass grade drops almost 20 points because he has to read defenses. With the RPO game, you're not really reading much. It's a one read thing. Like you're reading one defender. There's one designated defender that you are reading, and it's a very simple read. Does that designated defender trigger against the run? If he does, you pull it and you throw it to one guy. If he doesn't, he stays back in, in the secondary or wherever he doesn't trigger against the run, he delays, then you hand the ball off. It's that simple. It's as simple as a read as you get. It's a one. Man read. That's all it is. So he's really effective when he's doing that because it's it's just it's it's simplified. That's what it is. When it's third and long, he has to go to the drop back pass game, he's gotta sit back and actually read coverages and go through progressions. Nah, man, that's not his game. That's where Jackson Dark struggles. There is a reason, guys, that Lane Kiff and Witten brought in not one, but two high-profile transfer quarterbacks this season. He brought them in with every intention of having them challenge Jackson Dart for that starting job. Jackson Dart, make no mistake about it, guys, he had to re-win that job this offseason. They went and they brought in Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State, in his final year of eligibility. One of the weirdest moves I've seen in the transfer portal ever, really. Like Spencer Sanders, who's had a lot of success at Oklahoma State, was never elite, but always a solid player. started for like four years for the Pokes. He's going to transfer from Oklahoma State, and he's going to spend his final year of eligibility at Ole Miss, where there is an incumbent starter who was at least fairly successful for Ole Miss last year. He was not great as a passer last year. He had 20, 20 touchdowns to 11 picks. It was like 2,500 yards passing. He was not good. He was a liability in the pass game, to be honest with you. So I get why, why Kiffin went and did that, because that's not what Dart does well. He still doesn't do it well. He's better at it than he was last year but it's still not a strength of his. So again, like he had to re-win this job. And credit to the guy. Credit to Dart. He went and he re- re-won the job. I think his familiarity with the system certainly played a role in that. And I thought Sanders had a real shot to win the job because he is more athletic and more of a dual threat than what Jackson Dart is. But Dart's athletic enough and he gives them enough of what they need in the run game to to be able to hold on to that job so he's been the guy he's performed very well for them this year but they are not a heavy drop back pass team that's not really what they want to do they run a lot of rpos they will go with a lot of screens they will run a lot of screens they'll run halfback screens they'll run bubbles tunnels any variation of screen you can possibly think of they make a lot of use of that to kind of slow down the pass rush and keep defenses thinking and they will take shots down the field. They will absolutely do that. That's one thing that this offense will do because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to generate explosive plays. Now, how do they generate explosive plays? Let's kind of go back to what we were saying earlier. It's a couple of ways they do this. They are actively trying to screw with the eye discipline of the defenders. They're going to use shifting and motion. They're going to run tempo, which accelerates everything. So all this shifting and motion going on, the defense is having to already think and kind of like communicate with, with their teammates. Okay, now you got this guy. Now we're changing the responsibilities. And then when you run tempo, you accelerate that process. And it essentially creates this like toxic cocktail of confusion for the defenses. And it leads to a lot of blown coverages, a lot of bust in the secondary. And that's what they're trying to do, guys. They are trying to, number one, get your eyes in the wrong spot for the run game. Just like, hey, don't forget, we had some issues against Auburn, right? Remember I told you after we played Auburn, I wasn't freaking out about the matchup with Kentucky because what Kentucky does and the way that they run the football is very different than what Auburn did to us. But I told you at the time, there's one team on our schedule that really kind of can hurt us the way that Auburn did and kind of operates somewhat similar to Auburn, and that team was Ole Miss because they have a a dual-threat quarterback and they will try to screw their eye discipline. They'll try to get the ball on the edges at times. They'll pull guards. They'll pull tackles. They'll pull centers, and they'll pull them in different directions for where the running back's going, and they're trying to create a cocktail of confusion. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to screw with you, and they're trying to create bust. That's what they're going for, and they will exploit that. They'll take shots down the field off that, and they do have, so let's talk about the receiver. So they really have three guys. They have three dudes that do it all for them at receiver. They don't really rotate. It's three guys. Trey Harris, who's a transfer from Louisiana Tech, Jordan Watkins, and Dayton Wade. Those three guys have accounted for 74% of Ole Miss's receiving yards this season. They don't rotate. Harris leads the team in receiving with 749 yards. Watkins is second with 627, and Wade is third with 602. Their next closest receiver after Wade at 602 is their tight end, Caden Priestcorn, who's another transfer, at 158, okay? There's not another receiver on the team that has even a 100 yards receiving for them. It is those three guys. That's what they do. They run 11 personnel. They're going to have all three of those receivers out there, almost every single snap. They're going to have a tight end pre-scoring out there. They're going to have Judkins or Bentley, and they're going to have Jackson Dart. That's the personnel they run. That's what they do. They don't really mix it up from that. Harris is, in my opinion, the most dangerous guy. I mean, he does lead the team in, in receptions. He's also the most explosive guy, 19.7 yards per catch, seven touchdowns on the year, and he's done that missing two games. So he's a guy, he's a little bit different than Watkins and Wade. Watkins and Wade are both smaller guys. They're under six foot. They're speedier, like quicker guys. Harris has got plenty of good speed. He's also bigger. He's 6'2", about 215, and he's that guy that can go up and win those 50-50 balls on the outside. If they take a deep shot, oftentimes it's to him. If he, at least if it's a deep shot on the outside, they like that guy to be trade. Harris now they'll get Watkins and Wade involved in the middle of the field They'll get those guys heavily involved in the screen game as well but Harris is the guy they want to take shots with vertically down the field on the outside he's he's the, he's the one that has size he's the only one really that has any sort of size Watkins and Wade are the guys I really like to go to in the RPO game and I'm not saying and they're very good receivers in their own right guys I mean they're explosive guys but Harris is the one that they really really want to take those shots down the field with and he excels in that role he's really really good at those contested catches All right, guys, we've gone, what, about 30 or so minutes here with this Ole Miss offense, and we're not done yet, but I do want to take a quick break before we get too late in this thing, and I want to remind you guys about our great friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, it's going to be cold, all right? It wasn't cold. It was actually kind of hot last week against Missouri, which I do think affected some of the people in the crowd, but whatever. But this week, it's not going to be hot. It's going to be cold. It's going to be like a wintry mix. They're saying, I hope it's not, but it's looking that way. So if you are coming into town for this game, you need to stop by Alumni Hall on your way into town. So I'm telling you, you got to stop in, get all the newest, best Georgia cold weather gear. They're going to be open bright and early for you. You don't even have to get up early. You can just come on in as you're heading in for your tailgate. They'll be there waiting for you. Open at 8 a.m. Get all your stuff. It's right there inside the Epsbridge Shopping Center, which is just past the Equity Connector right off 316. If you're coming into town that way, it's worth a stop, guys. They have great customer service. They're going to get you in and out real quick. They have a great selection. Now, you might want to stay in there longer because you're going to find like that it is a Georgia fan's paradise but it won't be because of them. They'll get you in and out real quick if that's what you want but I tend to stay in there a little bit longer when I go in there than than the average person because I am a weird guy like that. But guys, Alumni Hall's got it all. They've got quarter zips. They've got hoodies. They've got full zips. They've got jackets. I got a great bomber jacket with them not too long ago which I have not actually... Pulled out of the closet yet, but I think it's about to make its debut this weekend. You also might need to stop by real quick and get those ponchos. I'm, they, they got a ton of them in there. They're cheap, what, four or five bucks, something like that. Because if it's going to be raining, so it'll be a little wet out there, you might want to be prepared. So stop by Alumni Hall because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys. So we've kind of laid out what Ole Miss likes to do offensively, the personnel schemes, all that stuff. But now I want to quickly, before we get to the defense, I want to take a look at how we are going to defend Ole Miss and what it is going to take to slow down what is, I think, like I said earlier, the best offense that we have faced to this point. The key for me is winning first and second down. I know that's not like revolutionary, it's the key in a lot of games. Like, you want to win, do that in every game, right? But when you play a team like Ole Miss, that excels and is at their most dangerous when they are ahead of the chains. So because when they are ahead of the chains, third and short, fourth and short, they have their entire playbook open to them. It makes it very, very difficult to defend them, okay? So what you want to do is get them into third and long, fourth and long. Because when you get Ole Miss into that situation, like most quarterbacks. Jackson Dart's production declines dramatically. Now, his actually declines even more dramatically than your average quarterback on third downs. If you look at Dart's numbers on third down, this guy, ooh, not great, man. 29 of 56, 51.8% completion percentage, two touchdowns, one interception. That ain't good, y'all. That's not good. And when you match that, with what is now the third best third down defense in the country. After last week's game, we dropped from first to third. Still, one of the best in the country. And the only reason we really dropped there is Utah. They held Cal, I think it was like one of 16 on third down. Something insane. I'm sorry, not Cal. Arizona State. I think they held Arizona State like one of 16 on third down. Something insane like that. So yeah, they jumped ahead of us there. But we're still third nationally in third down conversion, only allowing opponents to convert 26.5% of their third downs. That's the key, guys. That's it. we got to win first and second down. And what does that actually mean? It means we have to stop the run. That's what it means. We have to stop the run. Now, will we be able to do that? I don't know. Uh, We are not. It's well documented. We've talked about this. We are not the same rush defense that we have been years past. We're not as dynamic on the defensive line as we have been. We don't have those major disruptive forces. We don't have a Jalen Carter. We don't have a Jordan Davis. We don't have a Devontae Wyatt. We don't have those guys. And they're not walking through the door on Saturday. But even though we're not like top five, top three, number one against the run like we have been in the past couple of years, we're still pretty damn good. We're still top 15 nationally. We're giving up 100 yards a game, which if you go back to last year. I mean, it's, it's a drop, right? I mean, we were number one in the country last year in rush defense, 77 yards a game. We were number two in 2021 in rush D, giving up 78 yards a game. Now, we're getting about 25 yards per game more, and it it, kind of checks out, right? It makes sense when you don't have those guys on the interior. They aren't as disruptive. It makes it hard for the linebackers. They have more offensive linemen in their faces, so it's going to be tough. I will also say, and I've I've talked about this earlier in the week, but now that we're doing the full preview, I want to mention it again. Pop Dumas Johnson being out in this game is highly concerning for me because I do believe stopping the run, keeping them relatively in check, putting them in third and long is going to be a key in this game. And it's going to be much more difficult for us to do that without Pop, because for all his flaws, there are some areas that he has some deficiencies in. We've laid those out. we've been very clear about that. But Pop does some things well. Pop's a great downhill run defender. He's great between the tackles. And a lot of times we play teams that don't really do that to us, and they're trying to try to challenge us side and sideline more, and that's where he kind of struggles at times. But Ole Miss? is not that team, Ole Miss wants to run the ball right at you, right, they want to run the ball right at you, and this is a game where he would excel, and also, even though physically he's not as gifted as some of the guys that will be filling in for him if he does not play in this game, which is not a done deal, we don't know, Kirby was talking about, he's trying some innovative ways, trying to find a way to get back on the field, I'm sure he's trying to figure out how can I wrap this up without hurting myself any further, and will I actually be effective out there with a wrap, I'm sure that's what they're talking about, so it's not a done deal he's not going to play, but I'm still skeptical that he will, with a fracture, it's not the the physical talent so much. It's the experience that has me concerned, man. Yes, he's a great fit with his skill set for what Ole Miss likes to do with his physicality between the tackles and their physical run game. But his experience, seeing a lot of football, seeing a lot of teams do different things, them shifts, motions, tempo, and have just been around that for a while now, that is what concerns me because our young guys haven't seen that. Ole Miss, like I told you, their, their express goal is try to create explosive plays and they do that by trying to confuse you, right? They're pulling guards, tackle centers, one way, running this way. They're running screen games, RPOs, shifting and motioning and trying to create confusion. And with Pop, it's, not, it's still going to be an issue. We saw against Auburn, Pop was fell victim to some very poor like, eye discipline at times and gave us some big plays. He wasn't alone in that, but he, he's done that this year, which has kind of been a big source of my frustration with him. It's like, you're the veteran. You should not be doing that. I'm, I get it if you, like, you get outrun somewhere, because I, I understand. like You just don't have that physical ability some of these other guys. But your strength should be, in order to compensate for that, is like you don't get confused, that you don't have your eyes in the wrong spot. You got to make up for that. And he was not doing that early in the year, and it was frustrating for me. He's gotten better at that. And he should be better. Regardless if he's had issues, he's still going to be better at that than guys like C.J. Allen and Raylan Wilson and Xavier and Sori because he's just played more football. I mean, the freshman. I mean, yeah, C.J. has played a lot for us this year, but he hasn't played as much as Pop. Raylan has not played much at all. Sori has played some, but not a ton inside linebacker. He's been more in the third down package, and he's back this week. I'm very interested to see what that rotation will look like. I imagine, I mean, I know C.J. Allen's going to start next to To a smile if Pop cannot go, but who's that next man off the bench? I I imagine we'll probably play four guys. I I, I think Raylan and Sori will get some time, but who's gonna be that first guy off the bench? Is it gonna be Raylan? Is it gonna be Sori? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But that's a major concern for me because they are gonna try to exploit this, what they do. And if you have some experience there at that key position, it makes it tougher. It makes it tougher. But if we can stop them, get them to third and long, then you know what we're going to do. We're going to bring in our dying Packers. We're going to bring in Jalen Walker. We're going to bring in Michael. Well, we're going to put Michael Williams down at the three tech, and we're going to get after him. going to bring in Damon Wilson. We're going to bring in those pass rushers, and we're going to make life really difficult on Jackson Dart. So if we can get them to third long, if we can win first and second down, if we can stop the run effectively enough, I like our chances in this game. My concern, though, it's just easier said than done, man. It's easier said than done when you don't have those dominant guys in the interior when you're potentially going to be down one of your starting linebackers who's a preseason All-American, who is a great fit to stop this offense, and you're going to rely on some young guys who haven't played all that much at a key position against this kind of confusing, up-tempo offense. I have concerns on whether they're going to be able to do that. I mean, guys, there's only two teams, only two teams this season that have held Ole Miss under 100 yards rushing, just twice. Alabama did it. Alabama's really good against the run. They did that at home, right? and Tulane. Two Tulane's two also a, a good defense. a G5 team, I know, but that that's a that's a good defense, but I don't even necessarily think that we have to hold them under 100 yards. If we can just hold them, like, if we can hold them to what AM held them last week, which is about 130 yards rushing, if we can hold them to that, and then we can get them in the third and longs, I kind of like our chances. And I think that we do have a shot to get them in, into some third and long situations, because one thing that I do think we have going for us in this matchup is that their offensive line allows a lot of tackles for loss, a lot of penetration in the backfield. You know, I've talked about a lot about how we do a lot of two-gapping, but we're doing a little bit more one-gapping. I think we have one-gap personnel in the defensive line. I think this might be a game to turn them loose because Ole Miss ranks 110th nationally, guys, in allowing tackles for loss. They have an average, like, this is a crazy number, they have an average of seven tackles for loss a game. So I don't know if we can do it, but that gives me a little bit of hope. But that's the key. It's that simple. That is the key. All right, so we have gone heavy on the Ole Miss offense because it is the the part of this team that, that drives what they do. But let's talk some about this defense. I don't want to ignore the Ole Miss defense because as I said at the outset of the show, they have made a significant jump this season under New Defense coordinator Pete Golding, who yes, was at Alabama, left Alabama to come to Ole Miss this season and I told you guys in the preseason when we did the Ole Miss on the enemy episode I felt that there were that that move would pay immediate dividends I think a big part of why the Ole Miss defense has struggled so much under Lane Kiffin in his first couple years in Oxford is their scheme? They were running that like kind of three three five scheme. It's kind of a very passive scheme, and you've seen teams try to run this against us. When they weren't, teams run a three three five, like you know, say TCU did, um, go back a couple years ago, twenty twenty one, Arkansas did. What do we do? We run the football down those teams' throats. It's just not in the SEC that doesn't work. We're just finding the Big Twelve when teams want to spread the ball and throw the ball over the field. You can say you be good enough against them. Those teams aren't really going to run the ball downhill at you. That's why some of these teams in the Big Twelve have now morphed and. Taking their offenses more back in time, to like the old school run game, because all these defenses were running this three three five stuff. They're like, well, I mean, they're they're taking away our passing game, the spread passing game. So what are we going to do? Let's run the football. And so you can t- see teams like Baylor and Iowa State, now Oklahoma State and Kansas and Kansas State, they're going more the with the the power running games because that's how you attack these three three five defenses that kind of started to proliferate all throughout the Big Twelve. And that's what Ole Miss was doing. Kiffin sent. The, all their defensive coaches, I think he actually sent them to Iowa State. He was kind of the, the the team that basically, I don't know, they didn't invent it, but they popularized it in the Big 12. And they came back and that's what they ran. That's what they ran. And it was not good, guys. That 2020 Ole Miss defense was maybe the worst SEC, SEC defense of all time, certainly in that conversation. But when they hired... Golding, he changed that. No, he was not going to run that. I mean, he's going to bring the Bama, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban-style defense where they're going to run some even front. They're going to run some odd front. They're going to be more aggressive. They're going to they're going to bring pressure. They're going to run some run blitzes. They're going to bring some, some different sorts of pressure packages to get for the quarterback. They're going to run some more press man stuff. They're going to run some pattern match stuff. It's a defense that's very much made in the image of what Georgia and, and, and Alabama run. Not the exact carbon copy, but it's closer than that than, than not. I mean, guys, in 2020, This Ole Miss defense in Kiffin's first year on the job was 126 out of 127 teams nationally in total defense. They gave up 519 yards per game. Guys, I did not read that wrong. Let me read that again. 519. In 19 yards per game. So when I tell you it's one of the, if not the worst defenses in SEC history, you get the point, right? 519 yards per game. 6.67 yards per play that means two plays first down. Two plays first down, guys. That's how that works. That, my friends, is absolutely abysmal. That is the definition of abysmal defense. Now, fast forward to 2021. Well, all right, a little bit better. 97th nationally, get up only 420 yards per game. So they improved like 100 yards in 2021. Still terrible, though, 420 yards a game. All right, well, what about last year? Well, they brought in a new defense coordinator last year, right? So DJ Durkin, who was our coordinator, went to AM, took that coordinator job, and they improved even more last year. Went to 387 yards per game, 5.32 yards per play. So they're getting closer to respectability, almost, almost at respectability. Well, this year, they've taken another jump, and this defense... Is performing at the highest level that they ever have under Lane Kiffin. 365 yards per game, 5.09 yards per play. Significant jumps from where they were even like two years ago, let alone three years ago, where they were giving up 519 yards a game. So I'll go back to what I said at the outside of the show. What have we always said about Ole Miss since Kiffin's gotten there? Man, the offense is so good, but that defense, it sucks, man. I think it just maybe get like a just an okay defense, just a bad defense instead of a terrible defense. They might be really good. Well, guys, that's where they are. It's not a great defense. I'm not trying to tell you it is. It's like a top 50-ish defense. But if you take a top 50 defense and you pair it with these Lane Kiff and Charlie Weiss Jr. offenses, all of a sudden, you got an 8-1 football team that can threaten the best teams in the country. So what is it that actually accounts for this jump? What is it about this Ole Miss defense that's different? Why are they better this year? Just Pete Golding's presence? That or it makes them better? No, that's not what's happening. It, is. it goes back to scheme. They're more aggressive. And they have been a very disruptive defense. They have been an extremely, one of the most disruptive defenses in not just the SEC, but in the country. I mean, they get after the passer, guys. They are second in the SEC and seventh nationally in sacks, in sacks per game. They have 31 sacks in the year, which comes out to three, almost three and a half, 3.44 sacks per game. They create havoc in the backfield. They're also third in the SEC and 17th nationally in tackles for loss. They're averaging 7.3 tackles per loss right now. That's big time stuff, guys. That is what has changed. They're getting teams. i talk about how we need to get Ole Miss behind the chains to then get them to third and long. That's what they are doing to teams. They are winning first and second down. And when they create negative plays, an offense's scoring percentages go way down on a drive. So they put them in these tough situations. Offenses are going to have to rely on the drive back pass game. And then they have these really good pass rushers. They're going to get for the quarterback and make life hell for them. That's really what they have done. And they have a couple of really good pass rushers. Their best pass rusher... Is, is an in named Jared Ivey. He's got five and a half sacks in the year. He's an explosive athletic edge defender. He's 6'5", 265. He's actually a Georgia kid. He's from somewhat my neck of the woods. He's from Gwinnett County, North Gwinnett. Used to play them a lot and beat them a lot back in my old GFL days, long, long, long ago. If I remember correctly, I think we actually won the six and seven-year-old GFL championship on their state, in their stadium, I think, in their high school stadium. But anyway, long, long time ago. He has emerged as a dynamic pass rusher, a disruptive force, but he's not alone. Cedric Johnson, who plays the buck position, again, this is the traditional Alabama defense who plays that buck position for them, which is kind of like our jack position. He is second on the team in sacks right now, just a little bit behind Ivy. Ivy's got five and a half. Johnson's got four and a half sacks. So those two guys, Ivy and Johnson, are a heck of a one-two punch. But they have a couple other guys that can give them some push from the interior. It's not just about the edge guys when you're talking about this Ole Miss defense. JJ Pagese, you guys might remember this guy from Auburn. He was you know before Gus Malzahn got let go, right? So remember Gus used to have those he always had like a big athletic guy kind of like a defensive lineman but kind of played him in an H-back well Pagese is one of his last guys to do that but he transferred to Ole Miss and he became a defensive lineman and he's a really athletic disruptive guy on the interior of that defensive line I think he's an NFL guy I truly believe that I think he's got some NFL capabilities he's got three sacks in the year and he's got six and a half tackles for a loss ivy has got eight tackles for loss Johnson's got five and a half Pagese got six and a half so they have some guys at different positions that can create havoc for this defense. They also have this freshman. I think he's a really good-looking freshman. His name is Sunterine. I always pronounce that, game, that name wrong. His last name is Perkins, not Harold Perkins, Sunterine Perkins, and he is a dynamic rusher from that buck position. He's not a starter. He backs up Johnson, but they'll get him on the field, especially when they get into their third-down packages and that guy, when he's on the field, he's been very productive. He's got three and a half sacks, three and a half sacks on the year. Uh, a guy named Isaac Ukwu also has three and a half sacks. So they have a number of guys that, and Ukwu, by the way, is defensive, and he backs up Jared Ivey. They have a number of guys. It's not just one guy. It's not just two guys. They have a couple different guys that can create problems for the offense. I do not think they are especially good at inside linebacker. I think they're fine there. They're not like They're not, I don't know if they're liabilities. They're just not particularly good. Jeremiah John Baptiste, Kari Coleman. These guys are fine, uh, but they are not big-time players. They're they they can be abused at times. I think if our offensive line plays up to its capabilities, we can have some success running the football against this team. And that's gonna be key for us. We need to find a way to run the football more effectively than we did against Missouri because with their ability to rush the passer. We saw what Missouri was able to do rushing the passer last week. Guys, Ole Miss, their defense rushes the passer better than Missouri's. Now, they, they aren't as heavy on the run blitzes as Missouri is, uh, at least not traditionally, but hey, they very well could have watched. I know they watched the tape, obviously, and maybe they saw what Missouri did so You know what? Let's let's implement a little bit more of that ourselves. So maybe they're going to play a more aggressive attacking style defense against our run and go with some more run blitzes themselves. We'll see. I don't know, but I do know that they are a better pass rushing team. They have more guys that can hurt you rushing the passer than what Missouri had. So we need to find a way in this game to run the football more effectively, to stay out of third and long situations, just like Ole Miss. I think that's going to be key on both sides. Who can win first and second down and get the opposing team in a third and long on a more consistent basis? Because I mean, we're now we are much better on third downs in those third and long situations than Ole Miss's. Carson's Got 65% completion percentage on third down compared to 51.5 for Dart. Third for 550 compared to 400 for Dart. And he's converted 29 first downs to 19 for Jackson Dart. So we're better on third down in those situations than what Ole Miss has been. Carson's just a better drop back passer than what Jackson Dart is. It's just that simple. But it's still not where we want to be considering how good this Ole Miss pass rush is. So running the football for both teams, being able to stay ahead of the change is going to be a key in this game. Which team can do that? Which team can stop the other team from winning first and second down. I also think big plays are gonna be a key in this game, and we are a better defense in terms of stopping big plays than what Ole Miss has been. So they, they do play a more aggressive style of defense on early downs to standard downs than we do, not as much as Ole Miss, but or not as much as Missouri, I should say, but they still do play an aggressive style, and they give a lot of big plays because of they're they're 56 nationally and plays of 20 or more allowed. They give up 38 plays of 20 or more on defense, they're 42nd nationally and plays of 30 or more, and they're also 62nd nationally and plays of a 40 or more allowed. And we do a, a pretty darn good job of creating explosive plays. We are 15th nationally in plays of 20 or more yards, uh, 26 and 30 or more, and 18th in f- plays of 40 or more yards. So we're gonna have a chance to create some explosive plays against this Ole Miss defense. And guys, I, I have purposely not addressed it here yet because I don't want to put the bad vibes in the universe. I, I'm trying, I don't want to- I know again, like what I say or do doesn't really matter. I understand this intellectually, yes, I get it, but I'm also a crazy, weird person, and I feel like I just don't need to say things out loud, but I'm going to say it out loud here real quickly. If Brock Bowers is back, and if Brock Bowers is certainly, I mean, the the tea leaves are reading in a way that seems like it's a distinct possibility, and if he's back in anywhere remotely close to himself, he's not going to be 100%, but he's remotely close to himself, we know what Brock can give us himself in the past game with explosive plays he creates. But as I said earlier in the week, we have not yet seen this year a game with a fully healthy Brock Bowers, or even a like remotely healthy Brock Bowers and a remotely healthy Lad McConnell. Like we haven't seen that combination. Lad's at his at back to the point where he's not, I don't know if he's fully healthy, but as close as he's gonna get this year, if we can get Brock back, uh-oh. Like we've seen the explosive plays Lads has been able to create for us. Put Brock back in that equation with the explosive plays the old Miss Stevens has given up. Yeah, I think we might have a shot. And we're gonna need to hit him, guys. Like we're gonna need to, hit, need to hit them. When Carson has those opportunities down the field, I know he's been hit or miss inconsistent times hitting those vertical shots down the field, and we haven't really taken a ton of them. But when those opportunities present themselves, because I do believe they will present themselves, we gotta convert. We gotta hit them. Like the no more, oh man, we just missed it. No, we gotta hit them. We gotta hit them this week. And I think that we're gonna have some opportunities to do so, guys, because this Ole Miss secondary is the weakness of this defense. They are not dreadful. They're not that bad. They're not like Ole Miss 2020 bad, but they're still not very good. If you look at their numbers in the uh, in the SEC in, in terms of their past defense, they are, they're giving up 7.2 yards per attempt. They are right now, they're ninth in the league, or sorry, eighth in the league, giving up 200, almost 230 yards passing per game. This is a secondary that I think that we can have some success against, particularly their safeties, Zamari Walton, John Saunders, those are guys I think that we can have some success against, especially, again, let's say it out loud one more time, if Brock Bowers is back. Yes, I'm kind of whispering because I feel weird saying it out loud because I don't want to put that in the universe, but if he's back... Uh oh. Uh oh, miss. Brock and Lad McConkie, we're going to get some matchups on these safeties. And I think that we are going to win those matchups and we're going to create some explosive play opportunities. And again, we just got to hit them. We got to hit them when they present themselves. They're going to present themselves. It's a matter of converting and making them count. All right, guys. So that's the old miss defense. I want to give you a little bit there. I have a couple things I want to leave you with. I know we've gone long here, man. We're at what hour and six minutes right now. Okay. So I want to wrap this up. There's a couple things that I want to leave you with here that I think are encouraging in this game now I'm, I'm gonna be real with you guys I I am concerned about this game like I am on alert I'm on alert because I respect this Ole Miss team I think what they do offensively is very unique it's tough to prepare for when you not only do we only have one week to prepare for it but we don't have like a frame of reference like we don't play them ever like Alabama plays them every year like they're accustomed to playing this we don't so it's gonna be a tougher matchup for us in my opinion especially when you factor in pop Dumas Johnson might not play and I think he, he would be a big factor in this game but a couple of things that are encouraging for me and are giving me hope and keeping me sane here over the next couple of days. Number one, the fact that this game is at home. Like we know, we know that we have not lost a game at home since 2019. That just, God, that inexplicable loss to South Carolina back in 2019. It's been a long time, guys. Now a big part of that is we've just been better than everyone we've played and we are better than Ole Miss. Don't get me wrong, we are better, but the margins have been reduced this year. I mean, that's clear. I mean, we all know that. we talked about it all year, it's clear. Now, if Brock comes back, Do those margins expand a little bit more? Yeah, but we don't know what what version of Brock are we getting. We still don't really know there. So we aren't the same team that we have in the past couple years. Like we've talked about that a lot, but again, we don't have to be. We just have to be the best team when we need to be the best team in the the biggest games of the season, which this is one of those games. But at home this year, guys, we are allowing only 13.2 points per game. On the road, Ole Miss is only averaging 25 points per game. Now, that is a dramatic drop from Ole Miss's overall scoring average. They're averaging 38.8 points per game overall. They are averaging 45.7 points per game at home. Again, that number drops to 25 on the road. Now, most teams don't score as much on the road. Yes, that's true. But guys, we're talking about almost a 50% drop in their scoring output on the road as opposed to at home. Those home road splits for that offense, it's, it's dramatic. It's insane. And on the flip side, what are we doing at home? We're averaging almost 42 points ourselves at home. Now, does that matter necessarily on Saturday? I don't know. We'll see. It's a different game, different match, a different opponent, right? But the trends certainly favor us in that regard when it comes to home road scoring splits. So that's one thing. The other thing here, I know that we have not been as dominant defensively. That's well documented. We talked about that all year long. That's not new. But still, while we haven't been as dominant, we've still been one of the best teams in the country, guys. Come on. We still have been. Come on. And there has not been one team in America, not one team that we have played this season, that has totaled more than 370 yards of offense against us. They haven't. Not one team. Now, you can say the schedule sucks. Okay, it's fine. Missouri's offense pretty damn good, guys. And we held them under 370. So if that trend continues, now again, as I said earlier, this is the best offense that we have faced to this point this year. It is. But if that trend continues and we hold Ole Miss, Ole Miss to under 370 yards of total offense, that is another trend that favors us here. Because in games where Ole Miss has been held under 40 yards of total offense this year, and it hasn't happened often, it's only happened three times, but in those games, those have been the closest games they played all year. We know Alabama, on the road, they lost by, I said 10 earlier, it was 14. I think it was a 24-10, I think it was the final score there. They lost Alabama by 14 points in a game when they were held under 400 total yards in that game. Crimson Tide held them to 301 yards in that game. Tulane, a game in which they were held to 363 yards of total offense, they won that game. They beat Tulane 37-20, to but that was a much closer game for the majority of that game. It got away from Tulane late. Tulane also played a backup quarterback in that game, so there's that. And then the other game where they were held under 300 yards was against Arkansas, of all teams. Yes, my mortal enemy, Arkansas. The Razorbacks held them to 349 total yards. And that was the game that, one of the many games that Arkansas had a chance to win against better opponents this year. They just couldn't quite close the deal. They beat Arkansas 27-20 at home, 349 yards against the Razorbacks. So if we can be the fourth team this year to hold all Miss under 400 yards, and again, there's not been one team on our schedule this year that has gone for over 370 against us. If we can be that fourth team to hold all Miss under 400 yards, I have a really hard time seeing how we lose this game. Now, turnovers, of course, that can change everything. We know that. Special team scores, that can change everything. Yes, we know that. But if we play old school Georgia defense, vintage Georgia defense, and we have a vintage defensive performance in this game, we win the game it's that simple. Because so we're going to score on this Ole Miss team. They are better, but we are going to be able to score on them. So can we win first and second down, get them third and long? Can we limit their possessions? Can we keep them out of their tempo? So if we are... Keeping them behind the chains, they're not going to be able to use their tempo. They really only use tempo when they get the momentum. When they're getting first downs and moving the ball, that's when they go to their tempo stuff. So if we can win first and second down and keep them third long, get them out of tempo, we limit the confusion, we limit their ability to create those explosive plays and screw their eye discipline. If we can do that and we hold them under 400 yards, we're going to win the football game. It's just a matter of can we do it? Will we do it? And that is something, my friends, that we will have to wait until Saturday to find out in this massive top 10 matchup, number two versus number nine. This is what, what college ball is about, baby. Late in the season, we got these big time top 10 matchups in the SEC. Feed me, inject it straight into my veins. Let's freaking go. I'm already a pumpkin. We get this game kicked off now. Come on, let's go. But all right, guys, I got to get out of here. Uh, I will be back later this week with Charlie. She'll be back on here actually tomorrow with our week... 11? 12? What what week are we 11, I think. Week 11 picks of the week. i got to go finish some games right now so I can actually figure out what my record was last week. I know it's at least a 500 record. We'll see what it actually ends up being. But make sure you check back for the episode, guys. I've given you all my thoughts here on how we need to win this game, offense, defense, for Ole Miss. We're going to have our official picks for this game on Thursday night, so make sure to check back then, guys, but thank you so much for sticking with me, guys, I appreciate you, I hope you enjoyed this episode, listening to it as much as I enjoy doing it, I love this stuff, it's what I live for, so I appreciate you guys, trust me, I do, thank you so much for being here, but I'm Tyler, we will be back with you guys tomorrow with Charlie here with me, but as always, Go Dawgs!